0: Welcome to the Content Pros Podcast, where we unlock the strategies and secrets of the best content marketers in the world and ask the questions you've always wanted asked. Content Pros is sponsored by predictive content analytics software, Inbound Writer, and online proofing and collaboration platform, Proof HQ. Now here are your hosts, from Oracle Marketing Cloud, Chris Moody, and from Sysomos, Amber Nesland. Ready? Let's talk to the
1: pros. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Content Pros. Today I'm very pumped to be joined by Eric Qualman. Eric has done a ton of stuff, but he wrote Socialnomics, he's been featured on 60 Minutes, Wall Street Journal, all over the place. He was even voted the second most likable author in the world behind the creator of Harry Potter, J.K. Rowling. On
2: top of it, he's a professor at Harvard and MIT, and this is the part I want to ask you about, Eric. Your 2014 book, What Happens in Vegas Stays on YouTube, was recently nominated for the Pulitzer Prize. Come on, welcome to the show, Eric, and tell me about that.
3: Yeah, no, what an honor. We're another voting in April, so we'll keep our fingers crossed, but it's just an honor. I don't think we're going to win because we actually – there's. There's actually cartoons in that book for 2014, just to make it a little lighter read. But uh, no, it was really, really good to get nominated for that. So we'll keep our fingers crossed to see what happens.
1: So Eric, can you tell us about socialnomics? I think a lot of marketers have seen some of the amazing videos, but what led you to start that movement?
3: It was interesting. So I started talking about social and people were going, what are you doing, Eric? You're damaging your brand. At the time I was the head of marketing at Travelzoo, and they go, you're talking about teenage stuff out there and so i was out there speaking mainly at search conferences and there's 500 topics about search and i was the one weirdo talking about social media and and my crowd started to get smaller and smaller and i even questioned myself i go am i going down the right avenue here i think it's going to be the greatest thing in this huge massive shift in the way the world functions um, so fortunately i stuck with it my buddy said why don't you go talk to my publisher um, i googled the word socialnomics because i thought that'd be a cool name for the book comes up zero results so I make sure I go and copyright, trademark that and then away we go. Write the book. It goes to number one for marketing books in eight different languages Um, and then like you mentioned I did a video because I was doing a lot of speaking so I wanted to kick things off with kind of a a, a very aggressive video and really get people's attention in three minutes because to be honest I'd speak for an hour and sometimes CEOs would nod but it wasn't really eliciting that action that I needed to get that fire underneath them and so the video's seemed to do that not only for me, but also for a lot of people. And that was just a big learning for me when I started to see this thing go massively global. And it's a nice problem to have, but we've had to update that video now every year, or basically every six months. We've updated about six times now, uh, which is a nice problem to have, and it is the most watched video series around social media in the world. And so it's been uh, just fun to watch that grow.
2: I bet it has, and it's really um, its something that even my team at, uh, at Sysimus has been excited. They were all clamoring when you came out with the new one from this year, so <laughs> kudos to you on that one because our social team was really excited about it. They, they had fun. Um, so tell me a little bit about you, you kind of got in touch with the social revolution right about the time that it broke. So tell me what has changed to you between the time you first took notice of social as a movement and now where you're where you're really in the thick of it. And so much has changed in the last few years.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's gone. you've seen the progression going from imploring and pleading and just educating people, this is why you're going to be on it. And you can pull up the tapes, uh, not tapes, but just the recordings of ESPN, for example, and you see all of their on-air talent laughing and and saying, I'm never going to be on the Twitter, and they're just misusing the language. And then now you see today it's how do I get more followers, how do I use this stuff to really grow my business. So it's been a pretty quick shift from – this isn't for us, no one's going to use this, to all of a sudden, everyone and anyone, I speak across the world, I've been fortunate to speak in 44 countries, to almost every type of industry, and so almost every industry knows this stuff's important now, and really they just want to know, what's the secret sauce, or how do we figure out how to do this better, Uh, because we know that if we don't, you know, our business is going to die, and our organization isn't going to grow, whether it's a nonprofit, whether it's B2B, whether it's B2C. And so the massive shift for me is just to see how far businesses have come in their understanding and organizations to where that they're all in and they've got all their chips in and figured out how do they do more of it because they know it's becoming almost the, the number one driver when you think about social and mobile. It's almost the number one driver for their business success, which makes sense because when I'm out there speaking about socialnomics, all I say is it's really – a 10-second definition is it's word of mouth on digital steroids. This isn't technology play. This is living. This is breathing. This is your customer. This is your employee. This is your client. And so that's the the shift that I've seen. The other major shift that that I've also seen that's now hard for me to keep up with it, and I can't, is just all the technology and supporting technology around it, whether that's analytics, whether that's looking at, Uh, proactive tools that automatically can reach out to folks at certain times of the day based on their behavior. And so now we see this whole cottage industry around social and mobile that's really growing exponentially. It's really hard to keep
1: a handle on. Well, you mentioned that at all the events, you get some of the same questions. So what can I do better? What's the next big thing? Well, how do you typically respond when marketers talk to you about what should I be doing better?
3: A lot of times I like to take them back to the basics because everyone wants the next big thing, this greatest solution, or what's the magic pill. And I tell them there's really, really the magic pill stuff you've already been doing without this technology. The magic pill is really rolling up those sleeves and really getting after it. So one of the main things I talk to them about is I go, look, I'm going to tell you something that you've heard since 2009, and don't throw me out of the room is you've got to really listen, interact, and engage. Now, why am I telling you something that's been around since 2009? I'm telling you because when I work with Fortune 500 clients, only about 9% of them do it. And the reason they don't do it, it's not because they don't know how to do it, it's that it's a lot of hard work. It's hard work to develop these relationships. It's hard work to make the step to where this return on investment might not come back this quarter, but it's going to come a year or two two years from today. So a lot of the stuff I just showcased to them is, look, I'm going to show you a quick example of what I do. And so I'll I'll pull it up and go, and this doesn't matter if you're selling books, you're selling wine like Gary Vaynerchuk, or if you're selling um, services like IBM. I'm just looking for a couple words out here. All of a sudden I see this university uses my book. Well, guess what? This isn't on the list that my publisher, McGraw, Hill, or Wiley has given me. But now I've identified this university is using my book. So now I'm going to reach out to that professor directly figure out what class they're teaching, how many students they have, and most likely I'm going to Skype in for five minutes of Q&A. And so what that does is now I've got the direct connection with someone that I didn't even know existed. And so when I show them that, and, again, IBM does the same thing, whether they're looking for a term like RFP or request for proposal, they've increased their their returns 400% just by looking for those two terms and engaging, just like I gave that example of myself engaging with universities or colleges. And the reason that most people don't do it is because it's a lot of hard work. But the benefit of hard work is it keeps your competition out. So I know that not I know that Jay Bear probably does this, but I know that a lot of authors out there probably aren't doing that next level type of stuff to develop their fan base.
2: I'm so excited that you mentioned the part about listening because obviously, Systemos, I'm incredibly passionate about spreading that that word. But there's also a component to that because once you once you've listened and identified that, you have to you have to act on that opportunity. And you've done that so beautifully. But you've also created this kind of sustainable movement around social nomics, which is largely driven by content. So I would say the book is content, the videos are content, you have a blog, you publish statistics and graphics. Talk to me a little bit about the role that content has played in socialnomics growth and success.
3: Yeah, no, we like to always say that the the four Ps are kind of dead, product, place, price, and promotion, and it's really – they're dead in terms of they're just not as important as they once were. Um, They have a role, but they're just not as prevalent. And really, in product price, place, promotion, product's still very big. The rest of the other three are just, they're not that big as important. Is that we like to talk about the four C's of digital marketing, which is connecting, creating, and then creating, that's where the content falls in, um, curating, then culture. And so, exactly right, on the content piece, it's really trying to make it, because I look at that and go, "Why, why isn't everyone doing these videos? You know, they can see that they're successful. Why aren't people doing videos like we're doing? And every time we do a video, we realize, because it's a pain in the butt to grab all of this data and to put it into a story-type format. Um And so that's been a, a fun thing, not only for the brand that we're developing this content, but also we've been able to pivot because now other companies want us to produce this video. And so we've done videos for Disney. We've done videos for Cartier, for Chase. Um, and so it's been fun. It's kind of been funny because the first time that I got the phone call from from Disney, I was kind of going, wait, you want us to do animation for you. Right? And then so it's kind of a laughable moment. But uh we were able to pivot that as part of our business as well at Equal Man Studios to be able to do that. Um, so, yeah, content's hugely important. And the companies that we work with, we try to stress to them and just like the tool that you guys have so so is SOSOMOS is fantastic, right, is that you've got a lot of people out there that you could even do the Tom Sawyer approach. We talk about curating, is that sometimes your content can come from your, your customers. It can come from your fans. And so it really doesn't have to be, if you're just trying to produce your own content all the time, that's really hard to do. Um, so different people have different rules of thumb, whether it's Guy Kawasaki, if it's like 90-10, right, 10% should be original content, 90% you're curating, you're grabbing other people's great stuff and promoting it. And so that's that's an important play when it comes to that content, creating plays. You're not only creating but also curating other people's stuff.
1: I love that, and I want to zero in on culture. You mentioned culture, and I'm at Oracle Marketing Cloud, which you know a lot of folks have come in through acquisition. I came in through Compendium, which is a content marketing product. We have folks from Eloqua, Responses, Bluekai, lots of other companies. But one of the things that was really important for us was to combine content and social. So on my team, we have content and social in one place. We work together. We try to make sure that all of our content plays well for social. But now we're dealing with a big uh, cultural shift where everyone wants to participate, and if they don't, we're trying to show them this is how you should participate. Which I think social, you hinted at this too. You know, before it was prodding people to say you need to be on social media, and now it's more okay. We need to help them be more effective on social media because they're already there. And I think content is starting to get there too. So we're trying to create a culture of content where customers participate and contribute our employees participate and contribute, and that branches across the entire organization. So with what you saw with the social and the socialnomics movement, how can we apply that to content and try to get more contributors in that culture of content within a company?
3: Yeah, I think that's where it starts with culture is we look at some cultures, they just have the folks social, there's like five people that run their social strategy and their social content, only those five people can do it. Whereas if you look at other folks, like, and it's overused, but Tony Hsieh is very progressive because he's looking at, no, our best marketers and salespeople are our customers. And so that's going to the other paradigm. So what was the question asked seeing the shift out there when it comes to social is I think when we talk three years from now, do people really realize that socialnomics isn't really a channel? it actually touches every piece of your organization. And to your point, how do you get that to scale? The best way to get to scale is to have conviction and kind of release, get rid of the word control, get rid of the word control, and kind of release that brand and let your employees and let your customers take it to the next level. That's the only way you can get to scale. But the way you get to scale is to start with your culture and understand that we no longer have Control. That's like a word that I tell people to get out of their dictionary that to kind of release that. You can have influence. And the way you can influence with culture is to always ask these three questions. Everyone in the company needs to understand these three questions and have the same answer for them. When I interview companies, only about ten percent actually have the same answer, so it's kind of funny when you do it on video. The three questions are what's the mission of the company? The second one is, how do you differ from your competition? And the third one is, if we went away tomorrow, what's the loss to society? And that's very important for millennials. It's kind of like, you know, it's not what we're doing but why we're doing it. But this is Y-W-H-I. What's the mission? H, how do we differ from our competition? I is for, if we went away tomorrow, what's the loss to society? And so that's really where you start with the culture. And then from there, you can kind of do some fun stuff, like have your customers and your employees really take the brand to the next level.
2: Speaking of coordination and control, I want to take a moment out here to say thanks to Proof HQ, one of the sponsors that makes content pros possible. One of the trickiest parts of content creation is the approval in edits different people are ringing with make a logo bigger feedback or is this the best photo we have you can kill all that drama with using by using proofhq which is a slick web-based system that allows everyone on your team to collaborate on content executions you can work together seamlessly on blog posts ebooks slide shares infographics and more you'll be productive and more creative when you use proofhq check it out at bitly.com/proofhq Eric, I love the, the angle that you talked about around pivoting the content you've created for social nomics to actually producing content for others. So do you think that that is, a, is, is something that companies should consider for themselves, how they pivot their own content into um, something that's useful for their customers or vice versa? Talk to me a little bit about that.
3: No, I think you're spot on is that that's a major shift. And we talked about earlier what are some of the major shifts. At the beginning of the onset, what we saw when we are writing economics was that a major shift is now that all of these companies are becoming creators. And so that's, that's the main difference is they're becoming party planners. They're becoming creators of things, uh, creators of content. And so a lot of them get pretty good at it. And then what they can do is turn that in and help – Not only they can actually make it into a business, and we've seen that, like Zappos, you can go in and actually pay to figure out from a culture perspective, you know, how do you guys get infuse that kind of Zappos type culture into our business? Um, So there's different avenues that other businesses are starting to realize. Wait, once we get really good at this, we can actually teach others how to do it. Um, Gary Vaynerchuk's a good example, right? Small business selling wine. All of a sudden, he gets really good at using these tools and creating content, and now he starts a company, VaynerMedia, to where he's teaching other companies how to create this compelling content out there. So um, you're spot on is that once you start to do this and get pretty good at it, then you can teach other people how to do it.
1: I love the Gary Vee example, too, because he was under a lot of – criticism for one of his posts. I guess man, this is 2 years ago now, but he hired someone to follow him around and create content all the time. And now I think he has two or three people doing that because I asked him about it at an event because I was curious and you know, I, I I'm curious your take on quality versus quantity. And by quality I don't mean, you know, is it proofread, doesn't have spelling errors, but the bigger pieces of content. Your videos, for example, when you do a video that requires that animation, that's a fairly big piece of content it takes resources it takes time versus putting out a blog post or something a little quicker and more accessible and I know that they play differently on social too but where do you stand in the balance of quantity versus quality as it applies to content and social
3: yeah I mean it's a top question I get when I speak is you know how many posts should we do a day or and my answer is always as long as it's a value to your user you can post as much as you want um, and just looking at email like an old-school format is that it only becomes spam once it's not of value to the end user. And so I always like to use the three-second rule. If you have to think more than three seconds, is this of value to my base, to my following base? If you've got to think more than three seconds, and it's not. So don't send it out. Um, and so that's the three-second rule I like to give the companies because internally they might think something's fantastic and wonderful and everybody needs to know it, but it really should – fall into that three-second rule. It's like no-brainer. Yep, got to get this out here. This is fantastic stuff. It's going. If you have to hesitate at all, it's probably not that great, so don't send it out. So that's kind of where I'd err on the three-second rule. Um, Why would you produce content? Like what's the benefit of producing Uh, quality, if you have a high quantity and still quality, it's of relevance is because each piece is like a lottery ticket. You don't know which one's going to hit, whether that's from an SEO, search engine optimization perspective, or whether it's something that goes massively viral. Um, And so you don't know which one's going to hit and which one's not. So uh, I always laugh when I hear these people, they're like, they're viral gurus. And I just laugh and go, if you're a viral guru, you'd have like the biggest plane on the planet. You'd have the biggest building No one really knows. There's certain things you can do to give yourself a chance, but no one has the formula and the recipe for that. And so you definitely, there's some tips and tricks you can do to give yourself a chance, uh, but you don't know, that's why it's good. The more lottery tickets, as long as it's quality and relevant to your audience, uh, then you'll see one or two of those really take off. And then once those take off, like in our case, with the Social Media Revolution video, is kind of don't stray too far from the base. So we've tested other music on some, some of the years we've done it, And then we listen to our fan base that comes back and says, actually, we love the Fat Boy Slim right here, right now music, you should keep it. And so while we might be tired of it internally, is that the fan base still wants that same music, so we've kept that same music there.
2: I love the, the, the fact that you're talking about content of, in a way as currency. You don't know what's going to hit. You don't know what's going to be useful to people. So you've got to keep investing in the system. But talk to me about are there downsides to this? Are there risks that companies need to be aware of when they're producing constant content? And what about individual contributors who are out there putting so much of themselves out on the web in, in the form of content and material that, that really lives forever? So what are, what are the downsides and things that people need to be aware of?
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, we constantly struggle here as well. I mean, I used to shoot basically selfie videos starting five years ago, and I was re-looking at the YouTube channel this week. I'm like, oh man, is that good for the brand, bad for the brand, now that we're doing more studio type stuff? Um so sometimes we might actually kill some of that if we want to go to a different avenue. Um but we always like to ask our, our following base too, what do you think? What do you, what do you believe in? The other thing too is that for companies they need to understand, I always like to say, you know, a blog's free like a puppy, not free like a beer. This stuff takes a lot of time, like content. That's why a majority of it should be curating. And so you need to go in with eyes wide open knowing that this is, this is an investment to create this content. And then also understand that as an individual too, when you open it up, like I mentioned, Understand there's going to be mistakes made. So that's why I always say fail fast, fail forward, fail, fail better or take advantage of being flossom. You know, we saw the earlier this year with the hashtag Chevy, Chevy guy and the hashtag, you know, technology and stuff. That, that's where the guy was speaking like Chris Farley from Saturday Night Live when he gave out the MVP trophy. Um, and he got all flustered and said, you know, the car, this Colorado truck has, technology and stuff. And instead of running from that, Chevy embraced it. And so they were posting on Twitter, Chuck, yeah, we've got technology and stuff. And then when they had ads the following day and Jimmy Fallon, they actually changed the last five seconds of that ad to have the hashtag technology and stuff. And so instead of running from it, they embraced it. And I always say that's all about being flawsome. It's really through our flaws that we can show how awesome we are as a company or as an individual. Um, and so the things to kind of summarize that is, A, it's a lot of work. B, you're going to make mistakes, especially if you have more and more people helping you with the content, which you should. Uh, but when you make a mistake, just remember, it's how do I take advantage of this mistake once I make it, um, not to hide from it. Is there an opportunity for us to kind of laugh at ourselves and take advantage of it? Um, and then third, if there's continuing making the mistakes, what Tony Shea does at Zappos is they will – take those mistakes, and they'll put them up on the wall of shame and make sure that everyone's aware of it so it's a learning moment because they're basically allowing all of their employees to engage with the customer digitally. So when I've asked them personally, when I've interviewed them one-on-one, I've asked them, you know, come on, that's got to be a chance where these people just do something dumb. And he goes, yep, about 5 to 10% of the time someone does something, they're like, what are you thinking? And so we want to make sure that that's a learning moment.
1: I love that. I love the Zappos wall of shame, too. I know that there's a lot of folks there from reply-all incidents. That, that was one of the things I learned when I had a tour. But you hit on flawsome, which I think is a great term. And talking about awesome content, we're lucky to be sponsored by Inbound Writer, and their goal is to help you predict and produce more awesome content. So we know that most blog posts and articles fail to drive much, if any, traffic to your website. Wouldn't it be great to know how good or bad your content will perform before you write it? Inbound Writer does that. They forecast how your content will perform based on real-time analysis of your site, your competition, search in behaviors, and more. Inbound Writer tells you which topics will work, which won't, and why, removing the guesswork from content creation, increasing traffic, and decreasing wasted time. Visit inboundwriter.com to learn more. So, Eric, talking about awesome content, I'm wondering how do you try to define what success looks like for your content and for your clients?
3: That's a good question that a lot of people make the mistake of. They kind of just go after it, which I think is a good thing. You know, I'm always like, you know, baptism by fire, learn by doing. But you should all be on the same page of, you know, what does success look like for us? And so that when I work with organizations, sometimes – the team that's in there every day is really excited. They're going, this is doing great. And the executives are going, this is a big fail because uh, they haven't asked that question at the beginning. What does success look like? How are we going to measure it? And so the question should be, okay, is the success going to be we're going to look at some brand metrics to see if our brand increased over time? So if you look at, like, McDonald's, they just did an Instagram campaign where all the photos are just red and yellow. And they saw a major lift. Uh, when it came to their brand awareness uh, for McDonald's. Um, so you need to ask that question. Is it brand awareness we're trying to go for? Or are we are trying to, for a B2B company, we're just trying to get hard leads that we're going to hand off to the salespeople? Or is our content designed to drive a sale? We can actually track it to a sale. Um, or is our content just high level, just we want to make sure that we're providing value to our customer and that we're not really going to track it. It's just going to be tracked on the basis of, you know, what's the customer, overall customer satisfaction a year from now? Has it increased or decreased? Um, and this is one of the few things that we did that was different this year so we could kind of track it and say as a holistic approach, you know, our customer service increased, and the only three initiatives we did were A, B, and then C was our content um, design. Um, so you definitely need to, to ask those questions at the beginning of the process, Um, And always revisit that and remind people, this is what we're looking at, this is what we're trying to do, this is why we're doing it, this is what success looks like. So you have to revisit it and change things along the way sometimes, but just making sure that everyone's um, on the same page.
2: Uh, Eric, when you talk about the future of content and all of this exciting stuff and where we're headed, what do you see happening that is really exciting to you? What keeps you passionate about this um, and why do you keep creating content? What's What do you see out there that is continuing to convince you that this is something worth investing in?
3: The thing that has been most excited is if you look at the data, by 2017, two-thirds of all consumption on our mobile device is going to be video. And so we're in a position to understand and make sure that we stay ahead of that curve. Um, so that's what has me most excited is that these tools – are changing rapidly so it doesn't require someone to get in a nicely lit studio and then do post-production to make sure it looks great is that these tools are becoming very good so that any individual can start to produce this type of content and so um, it gets me excited because then the power's in the hand of the individual or the individual company to really determine success, like success is a choice to, you know, in this digital age and so, especially when it comes to content so that's that's what has me uh, the most excited as we look out there in the future.
1: To your point about tools, I'm actually talking into a Tupperware box with a Blue Yeti microphone, so so you don't have to be in a studio to try to get studio quality. I found a YouTube video. I copied it. It was less than 30 bucks. It took me about 15 minutes. So I think that's relevant for all of us, too. And one last question. We really appreciate your time today, Eric, and we love to know this. What did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, when I
3: was tiny, he was probably a policeman. And then when I got a little older, I wanted to be an NBA basketball player. Um, and then today, man, out there, I actually would think it would be cool because I take my kids to Disney World a lot, and I think it would be cool. They're young. So I think it would be cool to figure out, does there need to be a new Walt Disney? You know, what's that look like? What's that look like with these digital tools? It's not – you're going to combine the physical and the digital – Is that ready for a refresh? When we talk about parks, Disney parks, is that ready for a refresh? And what does that look like? Or is it there's a new competition because they don't really have competition. either go to Disney or there's a couple other things like Universal Studios, blah, blah, blah. But what does that look like if you look out there and how does that impact? Because I think the thing that's amazing to me about Walt Disney is that we're talking about him on the call. Like, think about the impact that he's had today. It's a bigger impact than a president of the United States when you think about that. And so that's just amazing that how many smiles that that person with that vision is able to put on kids' faces today long after he or she is gone.
2: You heard it here, folks, on Content Pros first. Disney 2.0 is going to be Mr. Eric Wellman. Thank you guys so much for joining us for this episode of Content Pros Podcast, and thanks to the inimitable Eric Coleman for joining us today. Head over to socialnomics.net to grab information about his books, including the Pulitzer Prize-nominated What Happens in Vegas stays on YouTube. You can check out more episodes of Content Pros over at contentprospodcast.com. Please throw us a review on iTunes, download us on Stitcher, and don't forget to join us next time. I'm Amber Nasland from Sysmos. My co-host is Chris Moody from Oracle's Marketing Cloud, and we will look forward to seeing you next time on Content Pros.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Content Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentprospodcast.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. Content Pros is sponsored by Oracle Marketing Cloud, Sysmos, Proof HQ, and Inbound Writer and is produced by Convince & Convert. Find more great shows like Content Pros at marketingpodcast.com, the first search engine for marketing podcasts.